morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Wednesday, April the 13th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. At least 30 people are dead in new attacks by the Allied Democratic Forces militia in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Until now, they still uh, founding bodies, and it's not easy at this moment to talk about the real number of those who were killed. UN agencies are calling on international donors to act now and provide the fans needed to prevent another potentially devastating famine in Somalia. With the current likelihood of poor rain, skyrocketing food prices, and huge funding shortfall, as was already mentioned also, it means a perfect storm in, is brewing for another catastrophic event. And the government of Malawi has embarked on a campaign aimed at increasing the uptake of its COVID-19 vaccine stock, which is now on the verge of expiring. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, at least 30 people are dead in new attacks by the Allied Democratic Forces militia in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Speaking today with VOS Kate Pound Dawson, reporter Jaffa Alcatante in Goma says that the ADF attacked villages when the government forces, the FRDC, were fighting another militia group elsewhere. DLC Prime Minister Jean-Michel Samalukonde in Goma today said that the war against the different militias in the east is complicated. Uh, last night it was around 7, 7.30 where people of Commander City uh, saw some houses be- being burned and then ADF attacked and killed many people. Until now they still... Uh, uh, founding bodies and it's not easy at this moment to talk about the real number of those who were killed. I've seen some reporting that we are talking about dozens killed. Is that what you're also he- hearing, like more than 30 or 40 people? Uh, yes, but uh, I just talked to the president of the civil society who say that they still found bodies so the number is still increasing till now right right now this was apparently the adf what is the military saying about their efforts to to uh catch uh the people responsible for the attacks uh, the, the governor, the military governor of Ituri, was himself in an operation uh, against ADF and Kodeko in another territory of Ituri. That's why Kodeko used to attack uh, the commander territory, as they know that the military are in another territory. And that's what the prime minister of drc who is in goma just say now that the war is not simple it's very complicated the prime minister said that uh the government is fighting against a complicated army which know very well the land and they can do a surprise anywhere and at all moments because 
they they don't have uniform they are doing a guerrilla and but they promised that frdc will do all possible to make ends of the attack of the uh, adf that was reporter jaffa alcatante in goma speaking with voa's kit pound dawson the European Union says that it will halt part of its training of Mali's armed forces. That's according to EU's top diplomat, Joseph Borrell. Mr. Borrell says that there is a lack of guarantees from Malian authorities that Russian military contractors would not interfere in the work. The decision is likely to add to international concern about the longevity of the UN peacekeeping mission, MINUSMA, and the European Union's EUTM and EUCAP missions after France and its allies began withdrawing from Mali earlier this year. And UN agencies are calling on international donors to act now and provide the funds needed to prevent another potentially devastating famine in Somalia. Millions of Somalis are in need of life-saving assistance, as Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. Three years of extreme drought has brought Somalia to its knees. Some 6 million people, or 40% of the population, are facing acute hunger because the rains have failed, their crops have withered, and their livestock has died. The United Nations says three-quarters of a million people have been forced to leave their homes in search of food for themselves and grazing land for their cattle. Last week, a U.N. food security report stated that Somalia is on the brink of a humanitarian disaster. Etienne Peterschmidt is the U.N. Food and Agriculture Organization representative in Somalia. Speaking from the capital Mogadishu, Peterschmidt says some 81,000 people already are suffering from catastrophic conditions in some areas of the country. He says they are facing starvation, malnutrition, loss of livestock, crops and other assets, and eventually disease and death. Almost a quarter of a million people died the last time famine was declared in Somalia. And with the current likelihood of poor rain, skyrocketing food prices, and huge funding shortfall, as was already mentioned also, it means a perfect storm in is brewing for another catastrophic event in which millions of people are at risk of sliding into famine. Children accounted for nearly half of the quarter million people who died in Somalia's last famine in 2011. So far, the UN's $1.4 billion 2022 humanitarian response plan for Somalia is less than 5% funded. The World Food Program's deputy country director in Somalia, Lara Fossi, says her agency must make some hard choices on how to distribute aid because of a lack of money. We've already prioritized our very limited nutrition funding to treat malnutrition rather than to prevent it. And this, of course, uh, will mean that more people are likely then to fall into needing treatment for acute malnutrition in the longer term. And we're taking from the hungry to feed the starving. Fossey warns the threat of famine may force people into negative coping strategies like selling off livestock and other assets that, she says, will undermine their long-term ability to support themselves and force them to remain dependent on humanitarian relief. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. An estimated 250 million people in Africa lack access to daily food, with the number impacted in Western Central Africa expected to reach a record high. 
Officials and aid groups from more than 50 African countries meet this week in Equatorial Guinea to discuss ways of improving the continent's agricultural food systems. Anika Hamschlag reports from Dakar in Senegal. The UN World Food Programme says the number of people affected by the ongoing food crisis in West and Central Africa has quadrupled over the last three years, rising from 10.7 million in 2019 to 41 million today. Countries in the Horn of Africa are also experiencing one of their worst food crises following three consecutive poor rainy seasons. Food insecurity has caused a massive nutrition crisis, particularly among small children. It has also fueled a huge population displacement as people leave rural areas in search of better economic opportunities. Many factors are at play. Extreme weather events such as drought and floods are occurring more regularly. And in some countries, conflict prevents farmers from planting or harvesting crops. As a result, many African countries have become increasingly reliant on food imports. So when the COVID-19 pandemic hit and disrupted global and regional trade, the continent suffered. Abebe Hayek Gabriel is the Assistant Director General of the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization. Each time a new crisis hits, it adds to what is already a very precarious situation. And the economic base is not very strong. Productivity and production of food is one of the lowest in the world. Not enough is being produced. The situation has been further complicated by the war in Ukraine. More than 20 African countries depend on Ukraine or Russia or both for wheat imports, Haley Gabrielle said, including 13 which depend on the warring nations for more than half of their annual wheat supply. Many African countries are also heavily reliant on fertilizer imports from Russia. Benoit Thierry is the West Africa representative for the International Fund for Agricultural Development. In Africa, not all countries are self-sufficient. Senegal is importing uh, 50% of its food, and we think that all the governments should now get organized to ensure self-sufficiency in their countries. And for that, you need investment plans in agriculture. Past agricultural plans have had a scope of three to five years, Thierry said, but governments should be thinking longer term. At this week's UN Food Conference, government officials are expected to discuss ways of decreasing Africa's dependence on imports by providing emergency support to farmers, taking advantage of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, and investing in ecosystem restoration and resource management. Annika Hammerschlag for VOA News, Dakar, Senegal. Debrek Africa continues. I'm Jackson Vungani. The government of Malawi has embarked on a campaign aimed at increasing the uptake of its COVID-19 vaccine stock, which is now on the verge of expiring. Lamek Masina reports from Blantyre. The Finnish viral campaign started on Monday and it requires each district office to administer 20,000 doses of COVID-19 vaccine per day. Adrian Chikumbe is the spokesperson for the Ministry of Health. What we emphasize on is let us follow the people where they are and make sure we explain to them benefits of getting the vaccine. Chikumbe says the campaign is running along another effort that enlists medical workers to vaccinate people in their homes using mobile clinics. However, the newly launched Finnish viral campaign gives each district health office a target to meet by the end of the four-day period. According to the World Health Organization, Malawi is among nine countries in Africa with fewer than 5% of the population vaccinated. Government statistics show that in Malawi, about 1 million people are fully vaccinated, far from the 11 million people 
required to reach herd immunity by December this year. The low uptake is largely attributed to vaccine hesitancy due to the misconceptions about its efficacy and effectiveness. Malawi government authorities say some COVID-19 vaccines now in stock may expire by May and June, a situation health officials want to avoid. George Job is the executive director for Malawi Health Equity Network. He says another contributing factor to the low uptake of COVID-19 vaccines is the low number of cases of infection in Malawi. Statistics from Public Health Institute of Malawi show that as of Monday, the country registered only two COVID-19 cases with no deaths. Well, the lesson we have learned with COVID-19 is that uh, when uh, the cases go high, there is an increase of people scrambling to get vaccinated. And at the moment, the fear has a little bit died because the numbers are low. Of course, the messages are still there in the media, encouraging people to observe preventive measures. But uh, we need special messages that just remind people that the low numbers do not mean COVID-19 has come to an end. Wangani Mbale is Deputy Communications Officer for Blanta District Health Office. He says the situation on the ground shows that people are responding positively to the campaign, although he doesn't have figures handy. We have a group where HSA are posting their photos when they vaccinating people. And we have some supervisors that are going around the facilities supervising the HSAs on this campaign. So the response is good. Currently, Malawi is administering three types of COVID-19 vaccine, AstraZeneca, Johnson & Johnson, and Pfizer. Last year, Malawi destroyed about 20,000 doses of expired AstraZeneca vaccines. Health authorities say they hope all of Malawi's vaccines would be used by May before they expire. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. At least 98 Kenyan girls between 10 and 19 years of age are affected with HIV every week. Statistics from Kenya's Ministry of Health show that more than 45,000 cases of teenage pregnancy were recorded in the months of January and February of this year alone. Maureen Ojambo reports. Officials with the Kenyan Ministry of Health say the growing number of young people having early sex has led to the rise in new HIV infections among teens. Authorities say the most affected young people are girls between the ages of 10 and 19 years of age. Ruth Masha is the Chief Executive Officer, National AIDS Control Council of Kenya. She says more than 216 million U.S. dollars, close to 25 billion Kenya shillings, is used annually to fight HIV. And this 25 billion over the years, we have been supported by our partners. Right now, we are struggling to see where do we even get fiscal space to begin to ensure that we are putting everyone on treatment. So it is a self-defeatist style for us not to stop new HIV infections because without doing that, we are not going to sustain the HIV response as a country. Statistics from the World Health Organization shows that at least 10 million unintended pregnancies occur each year among adolescent girls aged 15 to 19 years in developing countries. Kenya's Health Permanent Secretary Susan Mochache specifies HIV teen pregnancies and sexual gender-based violence as a triple threat 
to the Kenyans livelihoods and economy. We are still concerned that every week 98 girls between 10 and 19 years are getting newly infected with HIV. This year 2022 in the months of January and February we attended to 45,700 pregnant adolescents of the same age group. These are our girls. Kenya as we have noted has a prevalently young population 67% are aged below 29 years that's why we are worried Kenya's interior ministry says most chiefs in the villages are encouraging support for teen pregnancies instead of arrests and prosecution of culprits the age of consent for sexual intercourse in Kenya is 18 years therefore adult relations with a person under the age of 18 is illegal according to the law Persons who commit sexual offense against a child should be imprisoned for at least 15 years. Fred Matiangi is Kenya's Interior Cabinet Secretary. The triple threat is going to be our focus, and we are going to throw everything at it to ensure that we work with partners to drive the statistics down, as it were. And I'm going to outline measures that we are going to take from our point of view as national government administrators to address this issue. And, and I, I promise you, if we remain committed and solidly driven on this agenda. Lillian Nkonge is a sexual reproductive health and rights advisor for the Kenyan chapter of Reproductive Human Rights Group Plan International. She told Kenya's KTN News that most youths are engaging in sexual activities because of peer pressure from social media. Where we have parents living to urban areas for employment, leaving their children not supported adequately, and so they are vulnerable. Also, we have seen adolescents in there under a lot of pressure because of the social media. Just because they saw a socialite showing a very good, good experience, pregnancy. So they think that would also happen to them, but they are not at the same socioeconomic situation as the socialites. So the situation becomes really difficult when the reality hits and they do not have adequate resources. Cases of sexual and gender-based violence are also on the rise in Kenya. The result is social and emotional disruption leading to teenage pregnancies, sexually transmitted illnesses and depression. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Sacramento, California. Empowering women and girls is an essential tool for advancing development and reducing poverty, especially in Africa. And today, some organizations, mostly non-profits founded by women, are helping them gain economic independence. From Abuja, Nigeria, reporter Monachi Chuks looks at some remarkable women working to empower future generations. There is no doubt that empowered women contributes to the health and productivity of a family, community and nation. Development specialists say equipping women and girls with the knowledge, skills and habits to help national development should be the priority of every society. There are a number of strong and competent women changing the game for women and girls with support and encouragement. Aderonke Ogunleye Bello is executive director of the group called FAME, or Female Advocacy Mentoring and Empowerment. She says her foundation is committed to addressing gender disparities and creating job opportunities for women. The passion to improve the appalling situation of women and girls especially those in underserved and underprivileged or hard-to-reach communities. Vulnerable women and those living with disabilities inspired me to start up a gender-based not-for-profit organization. 
Bellows Group Fame works to boost the self-esteem of girls and women by motivating them to take part in sports and to improve the education, particularly in STEM, science, technology, engineering and medicine. She says the foundation is committed to changing lives despite the difficulties of standing against established social and cultural stereotypes that limit women's access to careers, good paying jobs and reproductive health care. Regardless of these challenges, we are proud of what we have achieved and pledge to remain relentless towards promoting equality and achieving emancipation for women in all spheres of life. Jumai Amadu is the founder of Helpline Foundation for the Needy. Established in 2003, the group focuses on putting smiles on the faces of the vulnerable people through skills acquisition programs. Helpline has trained over 16,000 women to make soaps, detergents, disinfectants, body creams, and confectionaries. It also offers training in self-care, public speaking and has provided free hospital checks and has helped over 600 women improve their savings and efforts to reverse what the group calls the financial slavery that traps many women. I will have a success story during the Just Complaints International Women's Day where these women brought all what they have been producing and we had a mini sales for them. They were all happy to see that people appreciated what they have produced and they made some money on that day. Another non-governmental organization that has been making positive changes in the lives of women and the less privileged is the Ningin Hope Alive Foundation. Dame Tumini Akogu is president and founder of the group, which helps pay high school fees so girls can complete their education. She says supporting the foundation with her personal and family funds is not easy, and she has called on generous individuals and organizations to help support training the less privileged. She notes that the group makes an effort to reach women living in displaced communities and areas affected by insecurity. Ningim has trained several girls and equipped them with tools to practice what they learned. We have also equipped some widows with some machines and tools to enable them fend for themselves. We have been sponsoring some indigent students. We give food and clothing materials to the needy. Through the support of these non-governmental organizations, many women and girls in Nigeria have been able to rewrite their stories for the better. For VOA News, Munachi Chooks in Abuja. South Africa's two biggest mine workers unions say that workers at Sibanya Steelwater's platinum operations plan to go on strike to show their support for gold miners locked in a wage dispute with the company. Members of the National Union of Mine Workers and Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union have been on strike at Sibanya's gold operations since March of the 9th demanding an increase of 1,000 rand, which is about $68 per month over the next three years. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at boanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. 
African Beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African Beat on VOA has it all. And it's happening right here, Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC, right after the international news. Hello, I'm Douglas Simpoga, host of VOA's Reporters Roundtable. Join us every Thursday as we discuss important African topics and events. I'll have a panel of African journalists and expert guests to discuss the topic at hand. We take a deeper look at important after-news topics. That's Reporters Roundtable every Thursday at 17.30 UTC, right here on VOA Africa. <laughs> 